What Tyler's Rebellion by Jean Froissart How the Commons of England Rebelled Against the Noblemen In the mean season, while this treaty was, there fell in England great mischief and rebellion of moving of the common people, by which deed England was at a point to have been lost without recovery. There was never realm nor country in so great adventure as it was in that time, and all because of the ease and riches that the common people were of, which moved them to this rebellion, as sometime they did in France, the which did much hurt, for by such incidents the realm of France hath been greatly grieved. It was a marvellous thing and of poor foundation that this mischief began in England, and to give an sample to all manner of people I will speak thereof as it was done, as I was informed, and of the incidents thereof. There was an usage in England, and yet is in divers countries, that the nobleman hath great franchise over the commons and keepeth them in servage, that is to say, their tenants ought by custom to labor the lord's lands, to gather and bring home their corns, and some to thresh and to fan, and by servage to make their hay and to hew their wood and bring it home. All these things they ought to do by servage, and there be more of these people in England than in any other realm. Thus the noblemen and prelates are served by them, and especially in the county of Kent, Essex, Sussex, and Bedford. These unhappy people of these said countries began to stir, because they said they were kept in great servage, and in the beginning of the world, they said, there were no bondmen, wherefore they maintained that none ought to be bond, without he did treason to his lord, as Lucifer did to God, but they said they could have no such battle, for they were neither angels nor spirits, but men formed to the similitude of their lords, saying why should they then be kept so under like beasts, the which? They said they would no longer suffer, for they would be all one, and if they labored or did anything for their lords, they would have wages therefore as well as other. And of this imagination was a foolish priest in the country of Kent called John Ball, for the which foolish words he had been three times in the Bishop of Canterbury's prison, for this priest used oftentimes on the Sundays after Mass, when the people were going out of the minster, to go into the cloister and preach, and made the people to assemble about him, and would say thus, Ah, ye good people, the matters goeth not well to pass in England, nor shall not do till everything be common, and that there be no villains nor gentlemen, but that we may be all unied together, and that the lords be no greater masters than we be. What have we deserved, or why should we be kept thus in servage? We be all come from one father and one mother, Adam and Eve, whereby can they say or shew that they be greater lords than we be, saving by that they cause us to win and labor for that they dispend? They are clothed in velvet and camlet furred with grice, and we be vestured with poor cloth, they have their wines, spices, and good bread, and we have the drawing out of the chaff and drink water, they dwell in fair houses, and we have the pain and travail, rain and wind in the fields, and by that that cometh of our labors they keep and maintain their estates, we be called their bondmen, and without we do readily them service beaten, and we have no sovereign to whom we may complain, nor that will hear us, nor do us right. Let us go to the king, he is young, and shew him what servage we be in, and shew him how we will have it otherwise, or else we will provide us of some remedy, and if we go together, all manner of people that be now in any bondage will follow us to the intent to be made free, and when the king seeth us, we shall have some remedy, either by fairness or otherwise. Thus John Ball said on Sundays, 
when the people issued out of the churches in the villages, wherefore many of the mean people loved him, and such as intended to know goodness said how he said truth, and so they would murmur one with another in the fields and in the ways as they went together, affirming how John Ball said truth. The Archbishop of Canterbury, who was informed of the saying of this John Ball, caused him to be taken and put in prison a two or three months to chastise him, howbeit, it had been much better at the beginning that he had been condemned to perpetual prison or else to have died, rather than to have suffered him to have been again delivered out of prison, but the bishop had conscience to let him die. And when this John Ball was out of prison, he returned again to his error, as he did before. Of his words and deeds there were much people in London informed, such as had great envy at them that were rich and such as were noble, and then they began to speak among them and said how the realm of England was right evil governed, and how that gold and silver was taken from them by them that were named noblemen. So thus these unhappy men of London began to rebel and assembled them together, and sent word to the foresaid countries that they should come to London and bring their people with them, promising them how they should find London open to receive them and the commons of the city to be of the same accord, saying how they would do so much to the king that there should not be one bondman in all England. This promise moved so them of Kent, of Essex, of Sussex, of Bedford, and of the countries about, that they rose and came towards London to the number of sixty thousand. And they had a captain called Water Tyler, and with him in company was Jack Straw and John Ball. These three were chief sovereign captains, but the head of all was Water Tyler, and he was indeed a tiler of houses, an ungracious patron. When these unhappy men began thus to stir, they of London, except such as were of their band, were greatly afraid. Then the mayor of London and the rich men of the city took counsel together, and when they saw the people thus coming on every side, they caused the gates of the city to be closed and would suffer no man to enter into the city. But when they had well imagined, they advised not so to do, for they thought they should thereby put their suburbs in great peril to be brent, and so they opened again the city, and there entered in at the gates in some place a hundred, two hundred, by twenty, and by thirty, and so when they came to London, they entered and lodged, and yet of truth the third part of these people could not tell what to ask or demand, but followed each other like beasts, as the shepherds did of old time, saying, how they would go conquer the holy land, and at last all came to nothing. In likewise these villains and poor people came to London, a hundred mile off, sixty mile, fifty mile, forty mile, and twenty mile off, and from all countries about London, but the most part came from the countries before named, and as they came they demanded ever for the king. The gentlemen of the countries, knights and squires, began to doubt, when they saw the people began to rebel, and though they were in doubt, it was good reason, for a less occasion they might have been afraid. So the gentlemen drew together, as well as they might. The same day that these unhappy people of Kent were coming to London, there returned from Canterbury the king's mother, Princess of Wales, coming from her pilgrimage. She was in great jeopardy to have been lost, for these people came to her chair and dealt rudely with her, whereof the good lady was in great doubt lest they would have done some villainy to her or to her damosels. Howbeit, God kept her, and she came in one day from Canterbury to London, for she never durst tarry by the way. The same time King Richard her son was at the Tower of London, there his mother found him, 
and with him there was the Earl of Salisbury, the Archbishop of Canterbury, Sir Robert of Namur, the Lord of Gomagnes, and divers other, who were in doubt of these people that thus gathered together, and wist not what they demanded. This rebellion was well known in the king's court, or any of these people began to stir out of their houses, but the king nor his council did provide no remedy therefore, which was great marvel. And to the intent that all lords and good people and such as would nothing but good should take an sample to correct them that be evil and rebellious, I shall shew you plainly all the matter, as it was. The evil deeds that these commons of England did to the king's officers, and how they sent a knight to speak with the king. The Monday before the feast of Corpus Christi the year of our Lord God 1381 these people issued out of their houses to come to London to speak with the king to be made free, for they would have had no bondmen in England. And so first they came to St. Thomas of Canterbury, and there John Ball had thought to have found the Bishop of Canterbury, but he was at London with the king. When what Tyler and Jack Straw entered into Canterbury, all the common people made great feast, for all the town was of their assent, and there they took counsel to go to London to the king, and to send some of their company over the river of Thames into Essex, into Sussex, and into the counties of Stafford and Bedford, to speak to the people that they should all come to the farther side of London and thereby to close London roundabout, so that the king should not stop their passages, and that they should all meet together on Corpus Christi Day. They that were at Canterbury entered into St. Thomas's church and did there much hurt, and robbed, and break up the bishop's chamber, and in robbing and bearing out their pillage they said, Ah, this Chancellor of England hath had a good market to get together all this riches, he shall give us now account of the revenues of England and of the great profits that he hath gathered sith the king's coronation. When they had this Monday thus broken the abbey of St. Vincent, they departed in the morning, and all the people of Canterbury with them, and so took the way to Rochester, and sent their people to the villages about. And in their going they beat down and robbed houses of advocates, and procurers of the king's court and of the archbishop, and had mercy of none. And when they were come to Rochester, they had their good cheer, for the people of that town tarried for them, for they were of the same sect, and then they went to the castle there and took the knight that had the rule thereof, he was called Sir John Newton, and they said to him, Sir, it behoveth you to go with us and you shall be our sovereign captain and to do that we will have you. The knight excused himself honestly and shewed them diverse considerations and excuses, but all availed him nothing, for they said unto him, Sir John, if ye do not as we will have you, ye are but dead. The knight, seeing these people in that fury and ready to slay him, he then doubted death and agreed to them, and so they took him with them against his inward will, and in like wise they of other counties in England, as Essex, Sussex, Stafford, Bedford, and Warwick, even to Lincoln, for they brought the knights and gentlemen into such obeisance, that they caused them to go with them, whether they would or not, as the Lord Moilies, a great baron, Sir Stephen of Hales and Sir Thomas of Cosington, and other. Now, behold the great fortune. If they might have come to their intents, they would have destroyed all the noblemen of England, and thereafter all other nations would have followed the same and have taken foot and ensample by them and by them of Gaunt and Flanders, who rebelled against their lord. The same year the Parisians rebelled in likewise and found out the mallets of iron, of whom there were more than twenty thousand, as ye shall hear after in this history 
but first we will speak of them of England. When these people thus lodged at Rochester departed, and passed the river, and came to Brentford, alway keeping still their opinions, beating down before them and all about the places and houses of advocates and procurers, and striking off the heads of diverse persons. And so long they went forward till they came within a four mile of London, and there lodged on a hill called Blackheath, and as they went, they said ever they were the king's men and the noble commons of England, and when they of London knew that they were come so near to them, the mayor, as ye have heard before, closed the gates and kept straightly all the passages. This order caused the mayor, who was called Nicholas Walworth, and divers other rich burgesses of the city, who were not of their sect, but there were in London of their unhappy opinions more than thirty thousand. Then these people thus being lodged on Blackheath determined to send their knight to speak with the king and to shew him how all that they have done or will do is for him and his honour, and how the realm of England hath not been well governed a great space for the honour of the realm nor for the common profit by his uncles and by the clergy, and specially by the Archbishop of Canterbury his Chancellor, whereof they would have account. This knight durst do none otherwise, but so came by the river of Thames to the tower. The king and they that were with him in the tower, desiring to hear tidings, seeing this knight coming made him way, and was brought before the king into a chamber, and with the king was the princess his mother and his two brethren, the Earl of Kent and the Lord John Holland, the Earl of Salisbury, the Earl of Warwick, the Earl of Oxford, the Archbishop of Canterbury, the Lord of St. John's, Sir Robert of Namur, the Lord of Verdering, the Lord of Gomagnes, Sir Henry of Senzel, the Mayor of London and divers other notable burgesses. This knight Sir John Newton, who was well known among them, for he was one of the king's officers, he kneeled down before the king and said, My right redoubt lord, let it not displease your grace the message that I must needs shew you, for, dear sir, it is by force and against my will. Sir John, said the king, say what ye will, I hold you excused. Sir, the commons of this your realm hath sent me to you to desire you to come and speak with them on Blackheath, for they desire to have none but you, and, sir, ye need not to have any doubt of your person, for they will do you no hurt, for they hold and will hold you for their king. But, sir, they say they will shew you diverse things, the which shall be right necessary for you to take heed of, when they speak with you, of the which things, sir, I have no charge to shew you, but, sir, it may please you to give me an answer such as may appease them and that they may know for truth that I have spoken with you, for they have my children in hostage till I return again to them, and without I return again, they will slay my children incontinent. Then the king made him an answer and said, Sir, ye shall have an answer shortly. Then the king took counsel what was best for him to do, and it was anon determined that the next morning the king should go down the river by water and without fail to speak with them. And when Sir John Newton heard that answer, he desired nothing else, and so took his leave of the king and of the lords, and returned again into his vessel, and passed the Thames and went to Blackheath, where he had left more than threescore thousand men. And there he answered them, that the next morning they should send some of their counsel to the Thames, and there the king would come and speak with them. This answer greatly pleased them, and so passed that night as well as they might, and the fourth part of them fasted for lack of victual, for they had none, wherewith they were sore displeased, which was good reason. All this season the Earl of Buckingham was in Wales, 
for there he had fair heritages by reason of his wife, who was daughter to the Earl of Northumberland and Hereford, but the voice was all through London how he was among these people. And some said certainly how they had seen him there among them, and all was because there was one Thomas in their company, a man of the county of Cambridge, that was very like the Earl. Also the lords that lay at Plymouth to go into Portugal were well informed of this rebellion and of the people that thus began to rise, wherefore they doubted lest their viage should have been broken, or else they feared lest the commons about Hampton, Winchester, and Arundel would have come on them, wherefore they weighed up their anchors and issued out of the haven with great pain, for the wind was sore against them, and so took the sea and their cast anchor abiding for the wind. And the Duke of Lancaster, who was in the marches of Scotland between Moorlane and Roxburgh in treating with the Scots, where it was shewed him of the rebellion, whereof he was in doubt, for he knew well he was but little beloved with the commons of England, howbeit, for all those tidings, yet he did sagely demean himself as touching the treaty with the Scots. The Earl Douglas, the Earl of Moray, the Earl of Sutherland and the Earl Thomas Versey, and the Scots that were there for the treaty knew right well the rebellion in England, how the common people in every part began to rebel against the noblemen, wherefore the Scots thought that England was in great danger to be lost, and therefore in their treaties they were the more stiffer against the Duke of Lancaster and his council. Now let us speak of the commons of England and how they persevered. How the commons of England entered into London, and of the great evil that they did, and of the death of the Bishop of Canterbury and divers other. In the morning on Corpus Christi Day King Richard heard Mass in the Tower of London and all his lords, and then he took his barge with the Earl of Salisbury, the Earl of Warwick, the Earl of Oxford and certain knights, and so rode down along the Thames to Rutherhithe, whereas was descended down the hill a ten thousand men to see the king and to speak with him. And when they saw the king's barge coming, they began to shout, and made such a cry, as though all the devils of hell had been among them. And they had brought with them Sir John Newton to the intent that, if the king had not come, they would have stricken him all to pieces, and so they had promised him. And when the king and his lords saw the demeanor of the people, the best assured of them were in dread, and so the king was counseled by his barons not to take any landing there, but so rode up and down the river. And the king demanded of them what they would, and said how he was come thither to speak with them, and they said all with one voice, We would that ye should come aland, and then we shall shew you what we lack. Then the Earl of Salisbury answered for the king, and said, Sirs, ye be not in such order, nor array that the king ought to speak with you. And so with those words no more said, and then the king was counselled to return again to the Tower of London, and so he did. And when these people saw that, they were inflamed with ire, and returned to the hill where the great band was, and there shewed them what answer they had and how the king was returned to the Tower of London. Then they cried all with one voice, Let us go to London, and so they took their way thither, and in their going they beat down abbeys and houses of advocates and of men of the court, and so came into the suburbs of London, which were great and fair, and there beat down divers fair houses, and specially they break up the king's prisons, as the Marshalsea and other, and delivered out all the prisoners that were within, and there they did much hurt, and at the bridge foot they threat them of. London because the gates of the bridge were closed, saying how they would brand all the suburbs and so conquer London by force, and to slay and brand all the commons of the city. 
There were many within the city of their accord, and so they drew together and said, Why do we not let these good people enter into the city? They are your fellows, and that that they do is for us. So therewith the gates were opened, and then these people entered into the city, and went into houses and sat down to eat and drink. They desired nothing but it was incontinent brought to them, for every man was ready to make them good cheer and to give them meat and drink to appease them. Then the captains, as John Ball, Jack Straw, and Watt Tyler, went throughout London and a twenty thousand with them, and so came to the Savoy in the way to Westminster, which was a goodly house, and it pertained to the Duke of Lancaster. And when they entered, they slew the keepers thereof and robbed and pilled the house, and when they had so done, then they set fire on it and cleaned, destroyed, and brent it. And when they had done that outrage, they left not therewith, but went straight to the fair hospital of the roads called St. John's, and there they brent house, hospital, minster, and all. Then they went from street to street and slew all the Flemings that they could find in church or in any other place, there was none respite from death. And they break up divers' houses of the Lombards and robbed them and took their goods at their pleasure, for there was none that durst say them nay. And they slew in the city a rich merchant called Richard Lyon, to whom before that time what Tyler had done service in France, and on a time this Richard Lyon had beaten him, while he was his varlet, the which what Tyler then remembered, and so came to his house and strake off his head and caused it to be borne on a spear-point before him all about the city. Thus these ungracious people demeaned themselves like people enraged and would, and so that day they did much sorrow in London. And so against night they went to lodge at St. Catherine's before the Tower of London, saying how they would never depart thence till they had the king at their pleasure until he had accorded to them all, they would ask, and, that they would ask accounts of the Chancellor of England, to know where all the good was become that he had levied through the realm, and without he made a good account to them thereof, it should not be for his profit. And so when they had done all these evils to the strangers all the day, at night they lodged before the tower. Ye may well know and believe that it was great pity for the danger that the king and such as were with him were in. For some time these unhappy people shouted and cried so loud, as though all the devils of hell had been among them. In this evening the king was counselled by his brethren and lords and by Sir Nicholas Walworth, mayor of London, and diverse other notable and rich burgesses, that in the night time they should issue out of the tower and enter into the city, and so to slay all these unhappy people, while they were at their rest and asleep, for it was thought that many of them were drunken, whereby they should be slain like flies. Also of twenty of them there was scant one in harness. And surely the good men of London might well have done this at their ease, for they had in their houses secretly their friends and servants ready in harness, and also Sir Robert Knowles was in his lodging keeping his treasure with a six-score ready at his commandment, in like wise was Sir Perducas d'Albret, who was as then in London, insomuch that there might well, have, assembled together an eight thousand men ready in harness. Howbeit, there was nothing done, for the residue of the commons of the city were sore doubted, lest they should rise also, and the commons, before were a threescore thousand or more. Then the Earl of Salisbury and the wise men about the king said, Sir, if ye can appease them with fairness, it were best and most profitable, and to grant them everything that they desire, for if we should begin a thing the which we could not achieve, we should never recover it again, but we and our heirs ever to be disinherited. 
So this counsel was taken and the mayor countermanded, and so commanded that he should not stir, and he did as he was commanded, as reason was. And in the city with the mayor there were twelve aldermen, whereof nine of them held with the king and the other three took part with these ungracious people, as it was after well known, the which they full dearly bought. And on the Friday in the morning the people, being at St. Catherine's near to the tower, began to apparel themselves and to cry and shout, and said, Without the king would come out and speak with them, they would assail the tower and take it by force, and slay all them that were within. Then the king doubted these words and so was counseled that he should issue out to speak with them, and then the king sent to them that they should all draw to a fair plain place called Mile End, whereas the people of the city did sport them in the summer season, and there the king to grant them that they desired. And there it was cried in the king's name, that whosoever would speak with the king let him go to the said place, and there he should not fail to find the king. Then the people began to depart, specially the commons of the villages, and went to the same place, but all went not thither, for they were not all of one condition, for there were some that desired nothing but riches and the utter destruction of the noblemen and to have London robbed and killed, that was the principal matter of their beginning, the which they well shewed. For as soon as the tower gate opened and that the king was issued out with his two brethren and the Earl of Salisbury, the Earl of Warwick, the Earl of Oxford, Sir Robert of Namur, the Lord of Verdaling, the Lord Gomagnes and divers other, then what Tyler, Jack Straw and John Ball and more than four hundred entered into the tower and break up chamber after chamber, and at last found the Archbishop of Canterbury, called Simon, a valiant man and a wise, and chief chancellor of England, and a little before he had said mass before the king. These gluttons took him and strake off his head, and also they beheaded the lord of St. John's and a friar minor, master in medicine, pertaining to the Duke of Lancaster, they slew him in despite of his master, and a sergeant at arms called John Legg, and these four heads were set on four long spears, and they made them to be borne before them through the streets of London and at last set them a high on London Bridge, as though they had been traitors to the king and to the realm. Also these gluttons entered into the princess chamber and break her bed, whereby she was so sore afraid that she swooned, and there she was taken up and borne to the waterside and put into a barge and covered, and so conveyed to a place called the Queen's Wardrobe, and there she was all that day and night like a woman half dead, till she was comforted with the king her son, as ye shall hereafter.